Lecture number four, Missiology. Hello, this is Dr. David J. Singleton, your professor, with part four of six for A109-B112 Missiology. I can be reached at globalassignment at yahoo.com or by phone at 585-262-6420. In this lecture, and in conjunction with your required reading, number one, describe how to implement change in an established church. Number two, when it comes to giving, tell what is it that people most commonly give to. Number three, name three kinds of church growth. Number four, where do you not want to get your members from and why? Number five, tell what is a foundational part necessary in the church planter's life or leader's life. Number six, name certain motives for being a church planter with character. Number seven, define what is ministry mission. Number eight, define what is ministry vision. Number nine, List why the pastor, or as it were, senior pastor, is to be the leader of leaders. Number 10, list a biblical example of who leads the church, the deacons, elders, or a pastor. Now in lecture 3, I was going through 10 parts of how to stay at an established church. I will do a brief review, at least calling out the list one through six. And starting in number seven, I will not only call them out, but I will go into some depth in terms of explanation. This was done for one through six in lecture three, and so I'll not absorb the time to do that. But if you want to implement God-honoring change, and if you want to be able to stay at this established church, then there are some things you need to do. Now, I understand that everybody will not plant a church. Some will actually come into an established church. And in coming into an established church, there are certain prerequisites, there are certain knowledge you need that God might give you wisdom in how to navigate that course. So, number one, you've got to know that God has called you there. Number two, Know that God has given you grace for the assignment. Number three, know that you must seek him to get wisdom for the course. Number four, know that old wineskins have trouble with new wine. Number five, know that new wineskins do much better and fulfills purpose with new wine. Number six, know that you must help that church family. To put a premium on the value of the word of God. In other words, that God's word will be the final authority on every matter. Those things we shared in lecture six and explained them. Now going on in. Uh, now going on, starting in number seven, 
You must teach on the change before attempting to implement the desired change. In other words, as you look at this established church that God has allowed you to come to, and I trust that you have sought him and you had the counsel of God on this, you had the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit spoke to you and told you, yes, you are to take on this work. Well, when the time come to begin the implementation process, we first start teaching on that change before we try to implement the desired change. You see, it is important for people to understand why they do what they do, not just simply do whatever it is, but understand why it is important. You know, the story is told of a mother who, whenever she would cook her big hams, she would always try to cut them in half to cook them in her oven. Well, her daughter would watch this, and, and when the daughter was now a mother, she did like her mother had done. And one day, the daughter, who now has a daughter, it is the granddaughter of the first mother, she recognizes her mother cutting the ham, as it were, and cooking it in two separate pots. And so she said, Mom, why do you cut the ham and cook it in two separate pots? She says, well, because that's how Mama always done it. Grandma used to do this all the time when I was growing up. And so that was the answer. But then later the little girl would be at Grandma's house. And Grandma, she would see Grandma do it again. And uh, she asked Grandma, Grandma, why do you cut the ham in half when you cook it? She says, well, my oven was so small and I couldn't fit the whole thing in there. And that's why. Well, the daughter was doing it because mother did it. But the daughter's oven was large enough to handle the whole thing. She knew what she was doing, but she did not know why. And far too often, we're asking people to do things that we don't explain to them why they need to do it. And so as you move into this new work uh, uh, of this church, which is already established, but it is new to you, you want to teach on the change before implementing that desired change. Number eight, you must cast vision to and for the people. There in Proverbs 29, 18, Scripture says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. In other words, it is important for you to cast vision for the people. It's important for you to help them to paint on the canvas of their imagination a picture of where we're going. It is important, it is critically important, if in fact, they're going to be able to go with you. There in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk speaks to us in Habakkuk 2, 2, and I won't quote it all, but I'll refer to it, where it says, write the vision, make it plain, that they that read it may run. And, and you're to put that on tablets. You're to make that so that it's conspicuous. You have to teach on it sometime, you see, because as Bill Hybels would say, vision leaks. In other words, you can share the vision and you as a church planter or you coming into an established church, you must know that you must recount the vision. You must recast the vision over and over. Why is this important? 
It is important because so many times in life, people's lives are busy. It is full just doing life, not only doing ministry. And so because there's so much going on, you may have heard the vision way back then. But if that thing isn't refreshed, it will be like a bucket with a, that's full of water, but it has a hole in it. Over time, unless there is a refilling, a replenishing of what was initially in the bucket, what's in there will leak out. And so since vision leaks, it is imperative that you not only cast the vision, but that you recast vision. Beyond casting vision, number nine, you must get sufficient buy-in. In other words, as you cast this vision, God has a way of touching hearts and, and people will have a witness in their heart that they want to be a part of it. And you've got to get people to buy into your vision. Otherwise, you're out there alone. In fact, I believe it was John Maxwell that says, if you think that you're leading and no one is following you, you're simply taking a walk. And so, as you endeavor to lead this church, you must get buy-in. You must have people that have signed on to go with you in the direction of this vision that you have now cast for them, that you have made it uh, 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 where they can make connections to reality for them, where it makes sense to them. And as you get the buy-in, then you have people who will help hold your arms up, as it were. You have people who will themselves get involved and help to bring this vision into fruition. And then number two, you must begin implementation of the needed and or desired change. At some point or the other, it has to come off of the paper. It has to come simply out of the conversational context. And it must move in the implementation process. So at some point, you're going to have to launch. You're going to have to actually do something. There's going to have to be some kind of manifestation. You see, the Bible declares that it is uh, our works that perfects our faith. So if we believe that God has called us to this work, we believe there's a change God wants us to do. We believe that as we share this vision, God will give us others who will buy in. And we believe we have the buy-in. At some point or the other, we now have to move into implementation of the needed and desired change. Now, this being said, we do not want to enter into this with the concept of thought that everything's going to go smooth and easy because I've shared this vision quite well. Because God has given it to me and I know he's given it to me. No, we must understand that in the implementation process, there is some trial and error. There is some recalculation. There is times when we go back to the drawing board and all such. But if it is a God-honoring and God-ordained change and we are moving with him to do it, then we can expect it will come to fruition if we just don't lose heart. One last thing on this matter of undertaking the pastoral reigns of an established church. If you are coming to a church where the pastor you're succeeding has been for a long time, they have married, buried, taught, preached, prayed, 
cried with the people and served them and this person has died. Or this person is no longer serving but the church still wishes they were. Then it is important that you know a church grieves just like a person grieves for someone they loved who has now gone on. In this dynamic, there are a few things to bear in mind that are critically important. Number one, just as you would be sensitive to a family and try to comfort them in the loss of a loved one, you must treat this new church as a family going through a difficult time in the loss of a loved one. In other words, you must understand that the fact that they are grieving kind of overshadows everything else. Nothing else is as important to them as the object to which their love is directed. Nothing else is more important to them than making it through this difficult time. It is important that you understand they're trying to readjust life. They're trying to uh, figure how do I handle life from here. It is now getting reformatted. It is now getting redefined. The persons that perhaps they have trusted sometime before, the person who have given them counsel and the person who has comforted them and all such, this person is no longer there as before. And so it is a difficult time for them. And even though they may not have anything against you personally, Personally, it may be hard for them to hear you because of their grief. So that's number one. Number two, many won't know you and many may not desire to know you. It will be the demonstrations of your love that will be noticed the most. Because you are this new pastor of this established church, many folk don't know you anyway. You may have traveled in from another city, another part of the city, or what have you. Certainly you're new to this church, and maybe very precious few know you. There may be a, have been a few key people that knew you and were instrumental in you now being the pastor. But generally speaking, the larger part of the congregation probably doesn't know you, and they may not be in a real big hurry. Because commonly when a pastor comes in, everybody wasn't in the vote. Everybody was not on board with the decision. And it's important to understand this. So then, as this church is going through this grieving time, you want to show them the love. You want to show them the kindness. You want to be patient. You want to understand and resolve that God is really in control in this matter. How can I best serve these people? For the word of the Lord speaks to us and says, let the greatest of you be the servant of all. This is a super opportunity where we can serve those that God has called us to. So number one, just as you would be sensitive to a family and try to comfort them in the loss of a loved one, you want to do this with this church you have now come to be the new pastor of. Number two, because many won't know you and many may not desire to know you, you want to make sure that in this difficult time that they're experiencing, you are there with love. You are there with comfort. You're there with concern and with your prayers. Number three, for many of the bereaving, you will not be able to fill our dad's or our pastor's shoes. You see, 
when a family loses their dad or their mom, as it were, the one who is there for them, their strong towers, their support, their help, their confidants, and what have you. When you, the new pastor coming into this established church, you are going to step in a place where they resolve you can't fill our dad's shoes, as it were. And because you can't, it's important for you to know and understand that you can't. It's important for you to know that you walk in your own shoes, and I would encourage you not to you know, short that pastor who had been there all those years, whatever their strengths were, whatever their weaknesses were, whatever you know about them or don't know about them. I would I would appeal to you in the most earnest way I know how. Be careful not to to bring negatives toward the memory of that pastor, whatever you do. And listen, people will talk in your ear and they might speak of shortcomings that that pastor has. They may speak of various faults or sins or whatever. And I would encourage you not even to be the garbage can on this thing. You know, garbage belong in garbage cans. And since we are not garbage cans, we are God's man's or God's women's then we're not to receive the garbage that sometimes folk will dump into us if we'll open up and let them do it. And so I appeal to you in a very uh, earnest and sincere godly way that uh, when it comes to this bereaving, you enter this uh, bereaving church life and grieve with them. Now, you may not grieve like them because you did not know the person quite the same way, but you grieve with them. In other words, you are sensitive to their concerns. You are sensitive to the plight therein. You are sensitive to the need for God's intervention to bring comfort and bring direction and so on and so forth. And because you are there, it's important that you know that, yes, I may, I may be doing some things different, but by God's grace... He's going to help me to deal with this situation. And then number four, if God has ordained it, he already knows what he's going to do in the matter. So you uh, you want to be of the frame of mind that no matter what's happening, it's going to be all right. It's all right. Number I mean, all right already. Last of all is number five. Uh, and that is, don't take offense, or you are advantaged if you do not take offense, if people seem a little touchy, impatient, or commonly refer to when Pastor so-and-so was here, they would whatever. You want to be, you, you, I pray God that you don't take offense to that because it's going to come. A commonality among men is that we do a comparing. The Bible says that we can uh, uh, um, compare ourselves uh, among ourselves or against ourselves, it's not wise. But it happens all the time. And so when you come in as the pastor, you may hear some of the scuttlebutt that goes on. And they talk about if this was so-and-so, if this was pastor so-and-so, he would have or she would have. And, and you just got to let that stuff ride. And, you know, at a set time, God will give you the wisdom and, uh, you know, you might refer to it. If you have to respond to it, you might say, well, praise God. You know, I, I, I know I'll do some things different, but I'm just trying to follow the wisdom of God on this. And I need your prayers. And uh, sometimes people can be real 
uh, hostile. People can be, uh, they can just be people. I tell you, people are the same everywhere. Um, they're just people. And, and you must know that if God has called you to this work, he's given you grace for the work. And he already knows what he's going to do in this. So it's important for you, this pastor coming in to this established church, to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, certainly obedient to the counsel of the word, allowing God to direct your steps and to bring about his perfect plan using you in the process. Now, let's go on just a bit further here. Please understand that this, part, this is part of the process. In time, if you do what God wants you to do, you will see that everything was all right, even though it may not have looked good at the time. Further, this is some of the seasoning to make you a better pastor. It might not have been what you wanted, but God is making you in the process. You see, if you never get any bumps, bruises, scratches, cuts, or maybe even some breaks in life, you won't be able to go where God wants to take you because you will not have learned how to navigate through tough situations. Hebrew 13, 5 and 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So when you are in the throes of the challenges that come with the territory of the pastoral arena, just hold on and see what God will do. Jeremiah 29, 11 says it this way. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. In other words, God does have a plan. Let's talk about, in this new church that you're planning and getting back to planning churches now, and talking about this new church that you're planning, how do we make ends meet? In other words, let's talk about the money matters. The reality is that money is a key part of church planting and growth. How the Lord will cause our needs to be fulfilled is many times a discovery we make as we go along. If any and all needs would be met, God will have to do it in the ways he sees fit. Matthew six twenty-five through 29 says, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, 
Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You as a church planter should take heart because the scriptures have already declared that your need would be met. In fact, the Apostle Paul speaks to those at Philippi. And in Philippians 4.19, he says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see, when you understand that God is going to supply your need, then you won't worry about the people supplying it so much. It helps you to lighten the load so that you're not beating up on people because they didn't promise to supply your need anyway. It is God's promise, as the Apostle Paul speaks to us, that he will supply your need according to his abundance, his riches, all that he has in glory by Christ Jesus. It is important that you know these things because people don't like being on sinking ships or houses that's on fire. You know, I'm a retired firefighter and I found that whenever there's a fire in the house, if people can get out, they're usually trying. Most folk will not stick around in a house that's on fire. In other words, people will not commonly want to stay with something that will not work or something that, that, that does not offer promise. If you are always speaking to the people about giving money to keep the lights on or keeping the door open, then you will be representing a sinking ship. Understand, people get off of sinking ships. If every time they hear you speak about money, it's that, if they don't give for this bill, something bad is going to happen to this work. Then they will take a position to let the lights go off and let the door close. Many times people will not continue to give for bills because they have bills of their own. They may do it for a while, but given enough time, they will stop giving just because you say there's another bill that needs to be paid. Be careful not to begin trying to shame people into giving. Guilt trips should not be levied on God's people to prompt them to give. Nor should your appeal for money be based solely on needs. Someone said, if need motivated giving, then everybody would be givers. No, no one likes to hear bad news all the time. If all the people hear is that we have another need. They will resolve. I can't really help you. Because everything we do is not enough. And you got needs that we just cannot meet. And they will leave the work. And cease their giving. If you really want people to give. 
then you need to give them a reason that's in line with the objectives of their heart, that's in line with the counsel of Scripture, that they may sow into it to bring to fruition the vision that God has given for this work. You see, people want to be a part of and, and want to invest time and energy in things that matter. So when it comes to giving, they will give to things that matter to them. For this cause, you must cast vision for them of where you're going and how we're going to get there. Show what their giving will do to usher in the fulfillment of the vision. Tell how this is in line with what the word of God says about the matter. I dare say that most people that attend church want to honor God and be a part of what he wants to happen in the earth. This means that you must be able to articulate what God has shown you. You must be able to help people imagine, see, visualize, and conceptualize what this will look like in time to come. I commonly say you must help them paint on the canvas of their imagination the picture of the future. Additionally, you must talk them through the process. Help them understand the sequences of steps, phases, or stages of how the vision will come into fruition. Communicate to them how to factor into this being so. How their money will be used. Let them know the cost of some things that must be budgeted for. Things that money has to be raised for, etc. You know, the, the old African proverb says, how do you eat an elephant. And this question is relevant here because sometimes undertaking a work of this nature can seem like a whole elephant. And how do I, as it were, how do we, just this little band, how, how do we eat this big old elephant? Well, the African proverb says, one bite at a time. You must have the boldness to ask for money without shame. You must overcome any feeling of somebody saying that you are a money grubber. When you know your heart is right, when you know that you are endeavoring to honor God in all that you do, then you have to have the boldness to ask. You must ask because you know and believe this is the will of God and you must do right with the money when it comes in. What about church growth? In addition to the three kinds of church growth, a beneficial thing to bear in mind is to sow what you want to grow. What I mean by this is that you should do for others what you'd want somebody to do for you. If somebody from your church was leaving to start a church plant and they don't have any members in the beginning, would you like for them to take some of yours? Would you like to learn that they were asking people to come and join them? Perhaps promising them choice positions in the new church? Such as the head deacon, choir director, president of the usher board, etc., etc. Of course you would not want them to take your members. Therefore, since you are setting forth to start a New Testament church plant, 
make sure you don't try to get the people that already are in a church to leave where they are and come with you. This being said, there is no need. And in fact, it is counterproductive to try to get people to leave a church and come alongside of you in your endeavors to plant a New Testament church. You should know that God is able to send people to you and with you that he has chosen to be a part of this new church plant. While at the same time, he can bring people into his glorious kingdom that will be sold out for the cause of Christ. Yes, God can send people who will allow you to be the planter and even the pastor and will serve alongside of you to help bring this New Testament church plant into fruition. My counsel to you is to go after people that aren't in anyone's church. Go fishing for the pre-Christians and the backsliders, the unconnected, unchurched, and uncommitted. There are a lot more of them, and you can get a great harvest with the help of the Lord. You know, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of like Peter and the boys when they were fishing. They were simply fishing in the wrong place. Now, though they were there all night long, and though they really intended to catch fish, and though they really tried with all they had, they were in the wrong place. But once Peter had gotten the counsel of Jesus on the matter, and he obeyed in he obeyed the, the counsel of the Lord, and I'm not even sure he was in faith, but he was in obedience. He ended up getting more fish than he ever imagined, and in a place that he didn't expect. You just don't know where God has your increase. You just must follow his counsel. There are too many people today who are walking our streets. They're not entering into anybody's church, but they want to know the resurrected Savior, and they may not even realize that he is who they need or who they really want. In fact, let me share this with you. You've got to remember you haven't seen your best days yet. No, God has more he wants to show you. I believe Peter might have told anybody, listen, when the Lord told me to go out and into the deep and cast my net on the right side, that was my best fishing day ever. And listen, God can give you direction on how to cast your net so you can have some of your best fishing days ever. If you are planning a church or leaving a church to be joined to another church, be careful to be uh, be careful not to be the pastor or their spouse's headache. Please don't burn bridges that brought you over, nor bite the hands that fed you. Also, it is not wise to badmouth the church you're at, leaving or thinking about leaving. Remember, what you sow is what you grow. Matthew 7, 1 through 3 declares this. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Commonly, we will judge after what we see, or what we hear, and the Bible declares that Jesus would use these 
would not use these criteria to judge. Beyond that, many times we believe we see someone else's fault and ours may be as big or much larger and somehow we miss it. Therefore, I submit it is best to be kind and let God, let God word your mouth for his glory. Amen. Now, <clears throat> because planting a church is not a cakewalk, faith is essential. There is nothing of any spiritual significance that will ever be accomplished in the kingdom of the living God apart from faith. Meaning you must be willing to fail in order to succeed. Now that's worthy of saying again. There is nothing of any spiritual significance that will ever be accomplished in the kingdom of the living God apart from faith. Meaning you must be willing to fail in order to succeed. Just as Gideon faced the Midianites, but not until he was sure God was really instructing him to do so. You must make sure you have heard from God on this one and that you are following his directions. If you must do as Gideon to ask for a sign, then do what you must. Just obey the leading of the Holy Spirit for your life. Even though it may seem like a real giant, you must face your giant or giants and not be afraid of it or them to the point of paralysis. If God has said that he will be with you, then he will be with you and give you the victory he promised. Therefore, you must be courageous or be bold as a lion. It helps to know that risk and failure comes with the territory. If you are going to have success in the kingdom work, knowing that God will always, that knowing that obeying God will always involve some element of risk, then this is true uh, However you look at it. You see, biblical personalities such as Abraham, Moses, David, Peter, and more. It is also true of contemporary personalities such as Martin Luther. Many of the walks he led, meetings he had, or plans he made were not successful. But success meant enough to him that he would not let failure defeat him. Babe Ruth, one who is known for his home run hitting record of 714, not his strikeouts of 1,330. It's reported that he said, never let the fear of striking out keep you from taking a swing at the ball. <laughs> Boy, isn't that appropriate. The list can go on and on. But you must resolve to overcome the possible failures in order to succeed. Beyond that, you must know who you are. It is imperative that you learn who you are and not be locked into the memory of the things in your past that does not help you move forward. Example, you may be a person that have started on many things and have completed very few. The negative side of this memory would suggest 
that you can't, don't, or won't stick with anything. However, the positive side of the same matter may suggest that you are a person willing to try something you've never done before. You may be a person who is not afraid to take on a new challenge or go into uncharted territory. You must not only know who you are, but you must like who you are. You must be comfortable in your own skin or comfortable with who you are as well as how you are. God can use the whole package of you for his glory if you don't get in his way. Do you believe Isaiah 43:25 says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will and uh, my God. Okay, Isaiah 43:25. I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. Or 1 John 1:9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That once we come to God and he forgives us, that he actually remembers our sins no more. It is part of our uniqueness that God uses for his own glory. And he knows about all of our shortcomings before we came out of the womb. Our part is simply and wholly to be surrendered to him continually. If that's not enough, you must be who you are. You see, if you don't know who you are, you will be constantly trying to find identity and aligning with this person or that thing. It's like trying to fit into an outfit that doesn't fit. As a church planter, you have to be uh, one who is not a copy of somebody else, but an original of you. It is only when you be you that God will get the greater glory out of your life. After all, no one, absolutely no one can beat you being you. And you'll never do well to embrace uh, someone being someone else. You see, as you embrace the fact of your uniqueness, your effectiveness in the things of God go to new heights. There's nothing wrong with being different from those around you. In fact, that's one of the things some people like about you is that you're different. Don't throw that away trying to be somebody you're not. That being said, if the Lord should lead you to do something else, doing something that no one else in your area is doing perhaps, or doing it a bit different than others are doing it, you need to be okay with that. You may be led to use an approach that when you share it with certain ones, they may say, that won't work, or people are going to think something's wrong with you. Or perhaps they may say, that's too big. Let's start smaller. It just makes more sense to start smaller. Let them think what they want to think. So long as you are following the counsel of God for your life. You may ask 
How will I know if I'm following the counsel of God? One sure way of knowing that you are following the counsel of God is to make sure you're not violating the written word of God or ignoring the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, part of the responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to lead you into all truth, to make known to you the things that the Father and the Son has said, and to guide you in a way that will bring honor, glory, praise, and thanks to the Lord. Let me share this one thing as we go. If you're not sure about how you're made up, meaning what are some of your strengths and weaknesses, do you know what area of ministry you're wired for? Is it an apostle, evangelism, faith, leading, preaching, teaching, or other? What area of ministry are you strongest in? How are you made up? Who or what does your heart really beat for? There are assessment tools that can aid you in identifying some of these areas and more. It would be wise to look into some of the various tools that can help you learn more about you so as to assist you in working with God better. God bless you. We're going to pick this up in Lecture 5 as we continue on.